everyone to episode 133 of some like it scott part of the media plug podcast network i'm your host scott shelton and on this week's episode we're not actually reviewing the russo brothers follow-up to avengers endgame instead we're talking about movies that for the most part were actually good courtesy of this year's academy award nominations ready with his soapbox and a warmed up pair of vocal cords i have my co-host scott harvey scott how are you doing today well, there you go. You, we're going to kill two birds with one stone because you honestly kind of did review Cherry there. Uh, and from yeah. what I heard about it from you, and I, I haven't seen the film, from what I heard about it from you, just simply saying that the film is not good is probably all the time that is worth spending on it. Um, and so maybe, you know, a, a blessing in disguise that we've decided to pivot here and just yeah. uh, focus on the Oscar nominations. But I'm doing good, Scott. I uh, Full disclosure, I scheduled my first uh, dose of the vaccine today. So oh, I'm going to be receiving that on Thursday, um, hopefully. And I'm uh, I'm very excited. Yeah, no, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to, to get it, whether I qualified as a court worker, which is uh, who is deemed essential workers in North yeah. Carolina. But uh, one of my co-workers, one of the other attorneys, at my firm told me that, yeah, he just said he was a court worker and, you know, it, it's fine. And honestly, logically, it makes sense, even if they didn't necessarily put attorneys on there, like I'm going to court, you know, at least three times a week. Um, and so, you know, th- those are the people who need to be getting the vaccine, in my opinion, who are like, you know, the quote unquote frontline people. Uh, I mean, not, not to mention I'm working in person in, off- in an office every single day. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, I'm excited. Um, and, uh, you know, it, things seem to be moving along quickly on that front. Uh, and I'm excited for, for everyone to, to eventually get it. Yeah, I, I kind of check back on a regular basis. I am not eligible in Massachusetts yeah. as of yet, but I have signed up for like the service that notifies you if there is vac- like unused vaccine doses in the area. Uh, so we'll see if anything happens there. But even then, I'm like still probably lowest priority in their system to notify of that. Yeah. So I have a feeling it might be a couple more months, you know, at best before I receive a vaccine. But I think you know I'm moving to New York you know, in the next month or two, I think actually I probably would be immediately eligible in New York to get it uh, just based on their rules. So we'll see if I get it before I move. It would be nice to get it before I moved. Um, But also, if not, then hopefully I'll get it shortly after because also NBC Universal talked about their return to work today in a town hall, which was nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is nice to hear. So it's going to slowly start phasing back over the summer, targeting sort of a fall for a, you know, full return to office in quotation marks because whatever that whatever full means post COVID is going to be different for at least for my, you know, for the business that I work in uh, different than, than pre COVID. So we'll see what that actually means full time, but I'm excited to actually meet some of my coworkers uh, in person. Yeah. It's it's exciting that we're talking about this and it's not like we're laughing it off. Like, "Ah, I don't know if this is really going to happen. You know, like the movie releases or something last year where we're like, okay, sure. It's going to come out in October. Um, No, it actually seems like, yeah, fall is absolutely a realistic, if not earlier, right. uh, Proposal for when people can start going back to work um, in person. So like, yeah, 
I think the the biggest thing for me now is not like whether or not things will be possible over the summer and then the early fall, but will things ramp like will, will things get worse again as we enter the winter with like new variants essentially, um, kind of like all of the flu or something like yeah. that. But then we take it more seriously, and if things kind of, I don't think fully shut down, I don't, I don't think that will happen. But if things kind of scale back a little bit, and you know the the nice thing, at least again for my line of work, is that like everything is like super flexible. Like we've proven we can work from home things like that. So there's just like a lot of God, question marks around that. You would hope if some sort of second or third or fourth wave, whatever wave it would be at this point, um, hit yeah. that we would certainly be more pre- better prepared this time than we were the first time. Uh, if Don't not, count on it. What, what the heck have we been doing this last you know year? But uh, hopefully we, that won't, we won't even have to worry about that. Yeah. Well, look, maybe, maybe this will be something for the pot. <laughs> It'll be really funny because we always joke about on our, when we're recording our countdown, series um which behind the curtain a little bit we're, we're recording our our next countdown series right now and we we joke every time about like oh n- like all these conversations will never be relevant when whenever they air because they're going to air like four five six months plus yeah i mean who knows what the one we're doing right now when it'll air and it's it's so funny that it, it maybe maybe it will be relevant again because <laughs> things have taken so long it'll come back around and be relevant again yeah i hope not yeah me too but Either way, what is relevant for today's podcast is the Academy Award nominations. On Monday, this year's nominations for the 93rd rendition of that award ceremony were announced. For a while, there was a lot of speculation about whether this ceremony, this year's ceremony, would even happen after all that's happened in the last year. And many movies you know, saw delays uh, of their release dates in the wake of the pandemic. But after consideration, the Academy met the demands of the pan- pandemic somewhere about halfway, uh, delaying their ceremony out of February and to the end of April of this year, which I personally think was a reasonable enough compromise given the majority of the uh, you know awards contenders, barring some, maybe some A24 movies that didn't quite get the release that they would have had last year. But besides that, and, and maybe Wes Anderson's film, I think like most of the traditional awards fair probably did come out, you know, by the by the awards deadline this past February. And so we have our nominations that came that came out as of recording yesterday. And so there was a lot of conversation out of last year's award show that, you know, even with Parasite claiming the top prize, that diversity was still a big issue in the nominations pool with notably few non-white acting nominees and no female uh, directors at all in the directing category. And with this year's nominations, um, that's probably fair to describe as significantly more diverse uh, than last year's, and, and we'll talk about some of those more specifically, of course. But Mank led the field with 10 nominations. That's four more than any of its uh, closest competitors, which included quite a few with six nominations. That's Nomadland, Judas and the Black Messiah, The Father, Sound of Metal, Minari, and The Trial of the Chicago 7, all of which, uh, alongside Promising Young Woman with five nominations, received the much sought-after nominations for Best Picture. So why don't we go ahead and actually start there? We'll talk about all uh, or at least a lot of the other nominations that these movies received. But starting with Best Picture, Scott, um, were these the right eight ones for you? Could they, you know, this is the category that has the range of anywhere from six to ten. This is the last year they're doing that. The Six to ten. Was eight the right number? Were these the right eight movies? Were there any um, that were notably left out in your opinion that should have been added? Could they have chopped off a few more? Um, and got it into a smaller group. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, well, the first thing I want to say is that, you know, you were talking about there about how it seemed like a lot of most of the Oscar contenders 
ended up coming out or the, you know, the movies that would have been Oscar contenders. And I, I do think I agree with that in the end. Uh, it was interesting that someone uh, who is part of the movie community um, that I am movie fan community that I'm sort of in um, was making what came out with a pretty strong take. And this is someone who has a lot of strong takes. So I'm just kind of used to it by now, but um, <laughs> saying that, well, it's kind of a joke that they're having the Oscars this year, at least half of the movies nominated for best picture wouldn't have been nominated in the normal year, um, which again, strong take and looking at the field. Yeah. There are definitely some movies that, um, you know, may have what you would have expected to see in best picture if they had, um, come out. You know, you mentioned the French Dispatch there. I think if you look at a couple of musicals as well, West Side Story, Steven Spielberg's uh, version was supposed to come out at Christmas this year. That, of course, uh, would you would absolutely expect to have been a Best Picture nomination. And In the Heights as well, I think, uh, is a movie that um, could certainly get itself in the Best Picture race with, um, you know, the the buzz around Lin-Manuel Miranda and um and Hamilton uh, still, you know, still riding high years on from that. And even Dune, I mean, I think is probably a little bit more of a long shot, but you know, D Denis Villeneuve um, has some clout now, certainly. Um, but yeah, for the most part, um, looking at these nominations, I think everything in here is the type of movie you would expect to see getting nominated for best picture. The one exception that I might make to that is and maybe I'm just saying this because it is my least favorite film of the bunch, but I think that Promising Young Woman might have had a tougher time in a year um, where some of those movies that I just mentioned are coming out. Uh, maybe, you know, a couple of A24 movies, like you mentioned uh, as well, um, would have, you know, come out and challenged it a little bit. I just think that that movie maybe is a little more... Um, genre than the academy likes to go you know in the in the best picture category but you know last year we saw a, arguably a genre film win best picture with parasite so again maybe maybe this is them making a little bit more of a left turn there so the, i guess the overall point i'm trying to make is looking at the field i think it's it's a generally the type of field that you could have expected to see when the year started and that you would expect to see in a normal oscar year um so in that regard like i think that you know, you could look at this field of nominees and say, and not even realize that, you know, COVID had stopped all of, um, you know, a lot of movies from coming out this year because the movies that were getting stopped were mostly the blockbusters, right? Things that aren't uh, going to get nominated for Best Picture. But as far as the movies themselves, um, yeah, you know, there's no real surprises, I guess I would say in here. Maybe um, the fact that Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and One Night in Miami were both left out of the Best Picture race or uh, nominees is the biggest surprise. You know, they could have, got, you know, added those two, gotten to 10 nominees, and that would have been, um, you know, fine. But, you know, given that even last year, right, they didn't, they only had nine nominees for Best Picture. They've um, never actually had 10 nominees for Best Picture. It, it's all how the voting system works. Well, it's, not, it's not like they choose I thought, whether. I thought that they had like in the early 2010s. Um, oh, may, maybe in the last few yeah. years they haven't. It, it's all down to how like the rank choice voting system works. Like you have to receive a certain threshold of non sure. of, of like votes to get counted. And so like at like they can't just like add in one or two. It's all based on the voting system. Um, but yeah. I want to say sometime between like 2009, 2012, that there were probably 10 nominees in one of those years because a bunch of random stuff got nominated for Best Picture. But anyway, um, yeah, no, I, I think that as far as uh, it, I think that it would have been crazy. The point I was trying to make, it would have been crazy, right, to see 10 nominees in this year 
um, after only having nine last year when you could have easily put 15 last year or something. And, yeah. uh, but again, it's all down know, to the voting system. So, right. Right. Um, but you know, I'm excited to see Judas and the black Messiah get in, uh, to the best picture race. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago on our golden globes review that, um, we could definitely, we could both definitely see this movie gaining a lot of traction, Daniel Kaluuya winning at the, um, Golden Globes for Best Supporting Actor. Um, we could, but we could see the movie as a whole gaining traction. Um, and you know, I, I you know, I, I certainly felt like it would probably end up in the Best Picture race. Um, and lo and behold, it is in there. Now, I do think that um, we, there's still a clear favorite for Best Picture, and that is Nomadland, of course. And I think something pretty dramatic is going to need to happen, like in the Guild Awards, uh, for me to not believe that this is Nomadland's to lose. Um, but Judas and the Black Messiah, again, gaining a lot of traction. I'm very glad that it got itself in the best picture race uh, and will be nominated. The only downside is the movie is now off of HBO Max. Um, and so people who were like, oh, hey, I wanted to see that. And now it's nominated for best picture. I guess I should get around to that. They either have to go to the theater, which may not be open wherever they live, or just wait, um, which is is kind of a shame. But um but yeah, no, I, I, obviously we haven't seen The Father, Scott, um, but I've heard good things about it. I, I've seen good reviews. I am intrigued to see it now, especially now that it's been nominated. And, you know, of the other seven films, like I said, I like to love six of them, but Promising Young Woman being the only um, exception there. I mean, you know, Minari, Mank, Trial of the Chicago Seven, Nomadland, Judas and the Black Messiah, uh, whatever the other one is that I'm forgetting. Um, very good films. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's I think it's a strong field um, and the two best movies of last year. Again, there there's some uh, conversation about um, Judas and the Black Messiah, at least between us and what year are we going to count it for? And I think we're counting it for 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and I stand by that. But, you know, yep. just looking at the the Oscar eligible films and in the Oscar eligible period, Yep. In my opinion, the two best films that came out were Nomadland and Judas and the Black Messiah. And they're both nominated for Best Picture. So it's hard for me to complain and nitpick um, because, you know, even though a couple of other of my favorites weren't in there, like I'm thinking of ending things or something, I didn't expect that. Uh, it, it was not going to be nominated for Best Picture. And to, you know, for the top two films of the year to be nominated feels like a victory because I couldn't even say that in 2019. Um because Midsommar, which was second best film of the year, in my opinion, you know, again, never had a chance for a Best Picture nomination. So it's a good field, Scott. Um, but I do think that the the favorite is still uh, very clearly Nomadland here. Yeah, I think I think for me, it really does feel like Nomadland and is the clear front runner. I a thousand percent agree with that. For me, it feels like Trial of the Chicago 7, which I know you have talked about really kind of being the sort of secondary contender to Nomad Land throughout the season. I feel like it lost a little bit of steam in these nominations, and we'll, and we'll get to why uh, in, in just a little bit, and probably in just a second when we talk about the next category. But to me, it feels like, you know, Trial of the Chicago 7 hasn't really gotten that many wins. feels like it's taking a bit of a step back. And that leaves Nomad Land up sort of at the top by itself, and it really is come will come down to how strong can the charge of Judas and the Black Messiah be? I don't think strong enough to, to overtake it, um, but it got some surprise nominations. Maybe, again, not enough to convince me that it, it can really overcome sort of the the lead 
that Nomadland has on it, just from the function, just from a pure function of the fact that it had hype building for months about that film, and and Judas didn't have that, um, and it's struggled to sort of you know really catapult itself, you know, as far into the conversation as it needs to be to really compete with Nomadland at this point. I think it has gotten into the conversation absolutely. I think the nomination for Best Picture alone, along with some of the other nominations we'll talk about here in a little bit, is proof of that. But maybe not holistically enough nominations to convince me this thing could be a real juggernaut uh, as much as I would want it to be because it, it was my favorite film, you know, since COVID started uh, easily. Um, so I, I think that it's a, it's a satisfactory best picture, you know, nomination pool for me. You know, I certainly liked some more than others. Maybe I'm a little bit, you know, more lukewarm on some of these uh, on the whole than you are. Um, but at, at the same time, like, I can't look at any of these and say, yeah, the, this like doesn't deserve to be nominated. And it feels like every single year, there's always a film that I would say doesn't deserve to be nominated for Best Picture. And I know that you feel less strongly about Promising Young Woman. I don't even feel that that great about it. But I'd say I can look at it and say, all right, I understand why this was nominated. And I can't really blame people um, for voting for it either. And it's interesting that, that you say that you know Promising Young Woman might struggle to be nominated in other years. I would actually think that something like Sound of Metal would have a much harder time. Yeah, no, uh, I can see that as well. Yeah, yeah. you know, as as much as I mean, I think that that's my favorite. You know, my second favorite film uh, from the last twelve months. If you're talking about top two films of the last year being nominated, it was the same for me. And with Sound of Metal, you know, as much as I love that movie and I think it a hundred percent deserves all the nominations that it received yesterday, I have a hard time seeing that really take hold in the way that it has in other years. Uh, yeah. when there are other things that are just sort of like taking up that noise space. I mean, it came out in December and you talk about films like West Side Story and Dune and Top Gun Maverick would have come out like all these movies that would have come out and just like totally swallowed um, its airtime. Because even with Wonder Woman 1984 and Soul, it still felt like there was enough breathing room in you know early mid-December for people to talk about Sound of Metal when it came out on Amazon. And I was really happy about that. I was really excited about that. I loved that movie. Um, and I think that, you know, in a different year, it would have gone the same way as One Night in Miami did ultimately, uh, which is another Amazon movie. Because I, I just, even though Amazon ended up with the second most nominations, I think uh, of the day, it it doesn't really feel like they have the weight behind them that a lot of other studios have. Some of their competitors were underpowered for this year. Sure. Yeah. I think A24 being one. Uh, yeah. I mean, A24. I think probably gets a little like, I don't know. I think we hold them in a little bit higher regard than they often get in the award ceremony. I mean, yes, of course they won with, with moonlight and whatnot, but like they haven't actually they got, found that much success. And they got one movie in there, which is probably about all you could have expected anyway. Yeah. And, and honest. honestly, I think, I think a 24 actually got more nominations solely through Minari this year than they got in all of the Oscars last year. I have to double check that stat, yeah, uh, but they didn't get that many nominations last year uh, for, for the Oscars, at least not in the big categories and Minari hooked them like five or six. So I think that overall um, they didn't have the volume of movies, but you know, maybe for what it's worth, they were able to put all their money behind Minari and, and really push it into the conversation. And a large part of that is, you know, the story behind it, which you could say is in terms of the storytelling of it, why couldn't something like the farewell have done just as well last year? Um, just in terms of how the, how the story was written, made produced, brought to the screen, you'd expect it. Um, to perform similarly, but it overperformed. So I actually would have pointed to something like Minari and Sound of Metal before I would have pointed to Promising Young Woman 
um, for reasons that probably aren't worth getting into in any more detail than we already have. But yeah, look, I disagree with with your with your friend's take. Um, but at the same That's time, right. yeah. But at the same time, like I, you know, Wes Anderson's only ever been nominated for, like once for Best Picture, so I, I don't know if I totally hear that part of the conversation. Um, but I mean, Steven Spielberg certainly. I mean, West Side Story. I mean, obviously, Ready Player One didn't perform for him, but for obvious reasons. But I mean, West Side Story is much more traditional Oscar fare. I mean, I believe I believe the original West Side Story won Best Picture. If I'm if I'm yeah, well, the original West Side Story didn't mistaken. have Ansel Elgort in it. So at the very at the very least, it was nominated. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I, it had what, Richard Bamer who went on to be in Twin Peaks. Yeah, I mean, An- Ansel Elgort. I mean, at this point, I feel like it could kill a movie's Oscar chances, but. Uh, I guess we'll see next year if that film is is going to come out. So we'll see. But in the Heights, interesting enough, yeah. I don't. I mean, was Lin Manuel Miranda that involved? I mean, obviously he wrote the music originally. Like he was like the original maker of I, In the Heights. I don't know but. how involved he was with the film, but I think just the general buzz around it being a Lin Manuel Miranda project will, you know, probably take it a long way. And it looks yeah. really good. Like the trailers look yeah, really totally. good. I think it could be like awesome. Uh, to be honest with you, a hundred percent agree. Yeah, I mean. Look, I, I think when I mean, we talked about it in our most anticipated movies, is a bummer it didn't come out this year. Uh, mm-hmm. No, no way, no way, Dune gets nominated for Best Picture in any year. Probably not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that said, I don't know how much of a chance. Obviously, we don't know everything that would have come out for A twenty four. I think some of those movies are always like around the conversation, but maybe not always in the final conversation that we're being, you know, that we ultimately have. But yeah, for me, it was definitely a satisfactory uh, nomination hall. And just to reiterate, I think everyone deserves to be in there. Um, regardless, but with that, I think, you know, we talked about Nomad Land being the favorite. Totally agree. We mentioned Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and One Night in Miami getting left out, which was a, a bummer, um, especially as they're like two black led films. And obviously there's all this conversation around controversy coming in. But, you know, for me, not that you can point for a movie to replace, you know, di- diversity um, in filmmaking, but like with something like Judas and the Black Messiah and Minari um, and other films of that ilk making it into you know the best picture race sound of metal uh being another i'm not as bothered you know that these other two films you know act you know there's always going to be snubs as as we say and it's not it's not surprising even though i liked both of those movies and i loved one night in miami again i can i can understand why it gets left out in in i mean this is what we've been asking for all along when it comes to diversity we're not asking for like some quota to be filled of diverse films. Sure. We are asking to pick the best movies of the year. And mm-hmm. 95% of the time that involves at least one diverse movie. And what they did here yeah. was, you know, you have four movies here that we've talked about that were diverse movies. They picked the best two of them, in my opinion, right? They picked Minari, they picked Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah. Um, and, and to some extent, no, Nomadland is a different kind of diversity too, which sure. I appreciate them, including Sound of Metal has a Muslim leading actor as well. I mean, you know, you can you can get you can and go it's down about the, the deaf community. Promising yeah. Young Woman is directed by a female. I mean Yeah, so I, I think that's that's the conversation for Best Picture, obviously something that we'll probably revisit over the next few weeks leading into the Academy Awards, because we do have the Guild Awards coming up. Uh, but with that, why don't we switch gears and talk about Best Director? I think three of the Best Director nominees were pretty straightforward and probably to be expected in the grand scheme of things. That's Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, who did win at the Globes and also at the Critics' Choice Awards. Seems like she's the favorite uh, as of right now. I'll get your thoughts on that in a second, Scott. David Fincher for Make, uh, perennial Best Director nominee whenever he releases a movie. Not surprised at all. He's uh, been pretty consistent in the nominations for other award shows. 
Uh, Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman, another person who's been pretty consistent uh, in getting nominated in this particular category and is, of course, notable uh, alongside Chloe Zhao for being uh, a woman in this category, which, you know, they're only like but the the third and fourth women to ever be nominated yeah, for first time two have ever been nominated in the same year. Yeah. It's, it's pretty ridiculous. Um, goes almost without saying, but then the remaining two, I think were uh, you know, different, you know, relatively different, uh, degrees of, of surprises. I think the first and what I would, you know, call a, a, a quite a pleasant surprise is you know, Lee Isaac Chung from Inari. We were just talking about the film a moment ago. He's, he sneaks in there getting the best director, nomination for his work there and and telling the story of his childhood um which is you know if you listen to any interview with that guy i i can't recommend it enough uh to go listen to that interview with him he's such a it's such an interesting he's such an interesting person to listen to um especially how the film was made as well and then probably the you know the last nominee here the easily one of the biggest surprises i think of all the nominations uh, maybe even the biggest i think we probably up for debate that's not really important but that's thomas vinterberg for Danish feature, another round. Uh, it's also nominated in the best international feature category, um, and there has been, you know, a little bit of buzz around it. Mads Mikkelsen is the lead, but Scott, this one came right out of nowhere uh, for me, and would love to just get your thoughts on, you know, it being included uh, in the nomination pool, but also, you know, what what your feelings are for the, you know, for these five nominees in general. Yeah, I mean, as far as Thomas Vinterberg goes, you know, I, first of all, I've heard really good things about this yeah, movie. I absolutely. guess, again, another one that it's time to watch now. But yeah. uh, people, I did see some people referring to this as the Pavel Pavlovsky nomination, as of yeah. course, a couple of years ago, Pavel Pavlovsky kind of for did Cold the War. same thing where he yeah. randomly got nominated for Best Director for Cold War, right? Another international feature. Polish, um, yeah. You know, and, and uh, again, like where we're, it seems like we're coming around on international directors. Obviously, last year, the winner of Best director was the director of an international feature Bong Joon-ho but you know best director has never been where the problem has been in the past other than the gender in terms of you know racial diversity at least in terms of uh, yeah. you know the gender obviously that's a different story but you know you think about yeah. the three amigos really dominating the 2010s uh, Alfonso Cuaron in Yaritu and uh, Guillermo del Toro with five wins between the three of them um, there in the 2010s. You think about Bong Joon-ho last year. Um, you think about Michelle Hazanavicius winning for the art artist. Um, you know, international directors are pretty much a mainstay of this category. So, you know, obviously, yes, we weren't expecting to see Thomas Venterberg in there. But when you actually sit down and think about it, when you compare it to the last 10 years of nominees in the Best Director nomination. I think it uh, in direct in the Best Director category. I think it makes a lot of sense to be honest. Um, you think again, you'd I, almost think though that like something like Minari would have like scratched that itch for them without having to go further into the internet. Well, future. you know, there's there's a debate. I mean, I I am of the you know, obviously there's been a debate this year about Minari and should it be considered an international film? That, I mean, I mean of course not. Of, yeah, of the belief it should not be. And no. yeah, you would be forgiven for like you know thinking it's an American, I mean, it is an American film, uh, but, you know, just by watching it, I, I think like, sure, it is, it is 100% an immigrant story. It, like you said, it is Lee Isaac Chung's, um, you know, story of his family coming to America. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a very American film. Like it's, a, you know, and that, that is the point that people have been making about um, why it shouldn't be in the international category because this film is very American. And I think maybe and it's not, ultimately it's in, not here in the end, yeah. that is why, um, 
that is why it got so much love at the the Oscar, maybe. In addition to the fact, right, that maybe we're coming around to Asian film in general um, with Parasite winning for Best Picture last year, but also because I think yeah. this is a story that Americans can connect to in a way uh, that maybe that connected with Academy voters and, um, you know, Liazic Chung getting in there. Um, and, you know, obviously the snubs here, if you want to call them that, Aaron Sorkin for Trial of the Chicago 7. Again, maybe this is the one you point to where you say, um, well, the Trial of Chicago 7, maybe its stock is falling, right? Sorkin had been nominated yeah. everywhere else, um, but he doesn't get in there. You know, I love Aaron Sorkin, obviously. He's one of he's been one of the most important sort of uh, filmmakers, artists to my life, but um, he doesn't deserve to be in the best director category. I, I will 100% say that. And it's nice to see, right, that the Academy is picking more interesting films to recognize in this category because, you know, this Sorkin getting in there would have been like, you know, the Tom Hooper over David Fincher or whatever back in the day for King Speech and Social Network, you know, just like we're going to pick the like very safe, anonymous direction of somebody like Tom Hooper or Aaron Sorkin in this case. Um, over, you know, some somebody that is doing something more interesting, like Fincher obviously was with the social network. Um, and I think all of these directors here bring their own unique style to the film. Um, you know, obviously, we haven't seen another round, but I'd be very surprised if I don't feel the same way after seeing it, but bring their own unique style to the film. They're all, you know, strikingly unique films. I think they're, you know, not safe Oscar bait, even Mank, right, which again, on paper, I think is, you know, a, a quintessential Oscar film. I think Fincher is too good to let um, the movie just be something, you know, safe, like maybe the trial of the Chicago 7 was, as much as I did enjoy it. Um, so, yeah, Chloe Zhao, she's going to win this award. I, I absolutely do believe that. Um, and, you know, it's it's nice to see, um, you know, that that, again, like I said, Sorkin getting left out, you know, they're being a little more adventurous. Again, Regina King also getting left out. Some people point to that as a snub. And know, the other I, and the other King, Shaka King. Yeah, again, like <laughs> the Academy really said screw plays this year with what they did with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and One Night in Miami. But um yeah. but no, I think that uh I don't find Regina King's direct direction as interesting. Uh, you know, Emerald Fennell even like I, I don't like promising young woman. I don't think her direction was good in the movie, but it's interesting, right? And Regina King, like, it's, you know, it's a solidly directed film, but to me, it's not Oscar worthy. So sure, if people want to make a big deal about it, that's fine. But this is not one of the times when I'm yeah. on the side of sort of the, the pitchforked mob. Um, and I'm not sure people are as angry about this, but I, you know, I, I personally think that, um, yeah. you know, even though I would have put somebody else in there over Emerald Fidel, they more or less got it right. We have two women in there. We have diverse diversity overall, and we have, you know, some, some really good filmmakers in there. So I can't complain too much. Yeah. For me, Scott, you know, I would be happy to sub in Shaka King in for, I won't say anyone uh, of these five people, but you know, quite a few of, of these people, not that these, you know, the, these five directors aren't worthy of being included, like you said, I, I haven't seen another round either, although it's been on my watch list. Actually, you know, for a while I was trying, I was considering watching it for our best of 2020 show. Didn't quite make the cut. I think I watched Baccarat uh, on the last, basically my last movie before we recorded uh, instead of uh, another round. But yeah, I'm looking forward to watching that scene. 
what that is like because I have not watched any of Thomas Venterberg's movies and I like Mads Mikkelsen quite a bit. So interested to check that out. But yeah, Shaka King seems like a big uh, omission here. I do I do like what you're saying around like interesting, you know, the a lot of these directors, or at least the ones that we've seen, right? Like they're doing something interesting at the very least, right? There's no boring uh, inclusions here. And, and I tend to agree with that. I do think what Shaka King was able to do as well with his, I believe his his directorial like feature length debut, I think was also pretty interesting in how he was able to, you know, tell that story. And you know, for someone who's never directed a big a big budget feature, although this is obviously big big budget can mean a lot of different things. And this was a big budget, but it's obviously not like a two hundred million dollar Marvel movie that Chloe Zhao's you know directing with the Eternals next. But you know, big budget movie first time out. It seems like the the craft here I thought was something really special, but that's probably my bias just towards it. I just think. It's such an incredible movie. Um, but yeah, I'd love to have seen him get included. N- again, not not, supi- not surprised that Regina King uh, was not included here. I was honestly a little bit surprised that she'd been in- included in other award shows, even though, again, I love One Night in Miami, but um, it shows it, she was competent, very, very competent in that outing. But again, not necessarily doing anything special um, where someone like, again, love it or hate it, promising young woman was interesting like you mentioned so overall strong director category wish i could have found some way to to shove in you know shaka king or even darius martyr because i I mean look i'm biased towards sound of metal too um but yeah i can't complain too much i think overall kind of like the best picture race in my opinion uh we talked about some of those omissions so uh and then the snub of aaron sorkin i agree like i i know that it it ultimately is a snub that he's not included in this category but Honestly, I don't think anyone's complaining that he didn't get it either. And and at least this way, if he does uh, there's, win. There's probably some people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is a pretty big stance of Trial of the Chicago 7. Yeah. I, I mean, look, I, I wish I had their love for the movie. I enjoyed it. I think Sorkin's you know, probably one of the one of my favorite, if not my favorite screenwriter, film writer um, living living today. But he's not uh, a, you know, a tier director, in my opinion, and. I think he's shown that in both of his two directorial outings. Anyway, yeah, like I think that it's not, a, it wasn't a surprise to me that he didn't get the nomination. But yeah, o- overall, that was the directing category. Let's move on to the acting categories here. I'm going to group the sort of, you know, both, both leads together, and then we'll talk about supporting later on, Scott. But here, the Academy uh, pretty much met expectations, I'd, I'd say, overall, with, with maybe like one exception. And that one exception, I think, is Steven Yoon. So he snuck in a nomination in the lead actor category for his role in Minari, joining the likes of Chadwick Boseman, uh, Riz Ahmed, Gary Oldman, and Anthony Hopkins, all of which I think were pretty much nailed on. You could have, you know, bet bet the house on those four people being nominated, probably. Um, and then in the on the other side, again, I, I think it's literally the five people who were nominated in drama at the Golden Globes. Yeah, It's Viola Davis... Francis McDormand, Carrie Mulligan, Andre Day, and Vanessa Kirby in the category there, Scott. So want to get your thoughts on probably what is the most chalky of the nomination, you know, the, the nominations we've received. Yeah, you know, starting with actress, I think we we talked about how we felt like four of them were locked in and that maybe, you know, Andrew Day's win at the Golden Globes made the fifth um, also sort of locked in. Yeah, she did. She did get the fifth spot there. Um, yeah. There were, you know, a couple other names circulating around. But sure. um, ultimately, again, I, I think 
I'm not surprised. This is the type of performance, again, that the Academy, I think, gravitates towards playing a real person, singing especially, like seems to be something that, or even lip syncing, uh, seems to be something that the Academy is drawn to. Um, so I uh, I don't think that she's, I, I still don't, I, I would, wouldn't say that she's the favorite, despite her, her Golden Globe win. I, I wouldn't say that at all. Um, I think that is probably Carrie Mulligan at this point um, is probably the favorite right now. Um, but I mean, this is the most wide open race in my opinion. I think Agreed. any of the five, I mean, maybe not Vanessa Kirby, but the other four, I could see any of them winning. Uh, I, I really could. Um, and so, yeah. So, so in that regard, the best actress race is interesting, even though, you know, the nominees were, like you said, were, were pure chalk. Um, as far as best actor goes, yeah, I think that Minari's getting away from it being treated as a foreign film and just being treated in, you know, with the regular film. <laughs> I don't mean to say regular, but uh, the American films, um, I think, helped Steven Yeun's case because it, it is rare. Unlike Best Director, it is rare that you see an actor or actress get nominated in a lead role uh, for their work in a foreign film. I mean, we saw it last year, right, with Parasite. Nobody from the cast of Parasite was nominated, despite all of them putting in really strong performances. And I think Song Kang Ho in particular, having a pretty good case, I think, for uh, deserving a nomination. Um, so I think that that helps Steven Yoon's case. And that may be why we see him getting nominated here where he was, you know, ignored maybe at some other award shows where Minari was, again, considered in in the same category as the other international films. Uh, yeah. And but yeah, so I'm del I'm I'm delighted to see it. I think uh, he was wonderful in Minari. Um, I'm also uh, yeah, you know, d delighted to see most of these actors nominated. I mean, Riz Ahmed. Um, obviously, we were huge fans of his performance in Sound of Metal. He'd probably be my pick um, out of these five. Um, but Chadwick Boseman, who is going to win the award, um, he you know obviously is in there. You look at Anthony Hopkins, of course. Uh, you know, perennial nominee. Highly decorated. Well, yes and no. Like, uh, I think this point was being made that Anthony Hopkins had several nominations, like in the 90s. Uh, but it's actually been a little bit. Uh, it had it had been a little bit. And then now in back-to-back in -back years, right? Because he was yeah. also nominated for the two popes last year. Um, yeah. And so he's, you know, weirdly enough, in his 80s now, he's having a resurgence a little bit. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Anthony Hopkins, you know, certainly can't uh, say anything um bad about him and then who's the who's the person i'm leaving out here um in the category yeah oh it's um gary Oldman. yeah and you know i i you know you'd be forgiven for forgetting him in this category well people are a little bit mixed on this performance i kind of understand why but i'm a fan of the performance it probably would not have been in my personal top five um but I think Gary Oldman is a, is a terrific actor, um, and again, I, I don't I don't fault the Academy for including it. Certainly, um, but yeah, this is unlike the Best Actress race. I think this one is is you know a done deal. I think Chadwick Boseman will be winning this award, um, and you know it's hard to say he doesn't deserve it. I think his performance is terrific. Yeah, look, I, I think Andrew Day's stock as you know, or I shouldn't say because again, I, I don't think she's necessarily the favorite right now either. Um, but I think that she could rise to be the, to being the clear favorite if she is able to clean up at some of these guild awards uh, where acting, you know, specifically the SAG awards, 
Um, I guess that would be the main one left, actually. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe have, have the Indie Spirit Awards already happened yet? Probably not. Um, no. I don't know if she would be would have a case there or not. I haven't actually looked. I don't even know if the nominations are for that yet. Um, I have to take a, take a separate look at that. But I think that her stock could rise after the SAG Awards if she w- were to win there. Uh, but if someone else wins, then yeah, I think it really does solidify that the race is is really wide open. Uh, I, you know, you say you could see any of the four except maybe Vanessa Kirby winning. I'd go further and say I think I could see, you know, any like of three of them winning. I don't know if I see Viola Davis uh, w- winning in this category this this year. Uh, I I think that there's just not like there's all this talk around her getting nominations, but I don't think anyone's really talking about her winning uh, this award as far as I can How, tell. However. Shout out to Viola Davis for now being the uh, most, most decorated African American yeah. actress, yeah, most nominated African American actress in Oscar history. Absolutely, and, and very well deserved. I mean, she is, you know, attention grabbing to say the least in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. She's a really strong performance, but I just think that there's a little bit more weight, um, thanks to her Golden Globes win, behind someone like an Andre Day, um, and then definitely behind. Um, Francis McDormand for just being a part of Nomadland. Although again, not really seeing the impetus there to even, you know, see her name popping up in the lights uh, in this category, but Carrie Mulligan, it feels like even though she hasn't won a big award, any of the big acting awards um, at these shows, although did she win the critics choice? Yeah, she did. She did win the critics choice. Okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I take that back. I mean, she winning the critics choice. And then, you know, again, I, I think a lot could be determined um, or the momentum could really swing as a part of the whole SAG, uh, the SAG Awards, which is probably a better indicator anyway of the Oscars, uh, to be fair, than either the Critics' Choice or the Globes. But yeah, it is it does feel wide open right now, and it's nice because I feel like always, always, always the acting, all four of the acting categories just seem completely locked down uh, by the time we get to the award show. So it'll be exciting if this one is actually kind of wide open. Yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying on McDormand, but I also think number one. It's Frances McDormand, right? She's totally. won. Yeah, she's won two, two Oscars. Yeah. yeah. Um, number two, Nomadland is is most likely going to win Best Picture. You know, Chloe Zhao is most likely going to win Best Director. This you know this film is going to be coming up. Yeah. Um, that feels like a, th- uh, that feels like a knock against her though, because I mean, I feel like in the recent years we've really seen maybe. awards get spread out a little bit more rather than maybe, really yeah. focused on one one uh, film. But but I also think she's a safe choice. Like everyone loves Frances Definitely. McDormand, even the yeah. people who weren't totally sold on Nomadland, I think at least agree that she gives a, a wonderful performance in the movie. So, sure. you know, maybe yeah. maybe they go there and stay away from something like United States versus Billie Holiday, which nobody has seen, or Promising well, a Woman, stop them in other years which is a little bit controversial. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. But yeah, no, I mean, actually, you know, that's probably a good comparison point, to be honest. Nobody really saw Judy either, but... Um, feel like even less people maybe have seen United States versus Billy Holiday. Or, I would say, or, yeah, I would say I mean, at least it's on, at least that's on Hulu. Like at least you can watch. Like you could. Yeah. It's pretty easy to watch if you want to. But I mean, like, look, I don't know. Has anyone watched that? I'd be really, I'd be really curious to see the statistics on that. Yeah, and then Carrie Mulligan, right? Promising Young Woman is you know a little bit controversial. So well, there's so that. much talk though, which is what makes it feel like it's and the politics of it just like are re- like really perfect for the Academy. I feel like. Um, yeah. Uh, it would be interesting. They're radical, quote unquote, like woke, like radical without really being anything that is going to set the status sure. quo on fire, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I think that's fair. I think that I don't see, frankly, in anywhere else this film is going to get an award. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if this is the one where it gets it. I don't see Emerald Fennell finding any love in the directing category. Um, 
and I don't see it winning Best Picture. So screenplay, uh, yeah. maybe. I mean, yeah. I mean, look, look, maybe, but I think Aaron Sorkin's got that pretty locked up. I, I'm not. Is he an I, original? Is Aaron Sorkin an original? It isn't. Yeah, it's an original screenplay, isn't it? Okay. Yeah. I, 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 I'm not sure, honestly. Like I, because I think they haven't really been blocked out at the other awards, have they? So I haven't. No, that, that's true. Um, yeah. Know, well, look, I, I wrote it parsed out. What? I guess I just assumed, right, it's a true story or whatever. You would think uh, a lot of times those are adapted screenplays, but you may be right. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, look, I think that, hold on. I mean, I have it in my notes here. One second. I'm pretty sure I have it as an original screenplay, but I'll double check and because we'll, we're going to talk about screenplays in, in a little bit. So we'll come back around to that. I think that um, anyway, th- this could be, I think this could be the category that where Promising Young Woman does get its... Um, it's it's you know to, I don't want to say token award, but I ha- I have felt like that in the past that it's like you know film films will get their token awards and whatnot. The favorite, yeah, That's sure, yeah, exactly, and yes. So okay, a best original screenplay. It is a Trial of Chicago Seven is an original screenplay because it's not yes, it's a true story, but it's not it's not based off a book or a play based or, on anything. Okay. Um, based on anything. So yeah, I guess it's based on court documents. So some people would say it's not based on history at all, but well, <laughs> but it actually there is. are certainly so, parts I mean, of it that aren't based on history. Documents. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, any, anyway, yeah. So so overall, I think just to highlight some, go back to to the points we were making here, you know, look, as much as I would love Riz Ahmed, and I believe he is, he gave the best performance of, of the year. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to say a bad word about Chadwick Boseman um, when he wins this award posthumously and when his wife gives the acceptance speech that, I mean, she the, if the speech of, that she gave at the Globes is any indicator and the Critics' Choice Awards too, then it's going to be a doozy to, to see that happen. Um, come the end of april but i think that's that will definitely come due and and the big controversy i think you know with steven yoon getting in and i guess that's the one you have to point to although i would point in a different direction personally if i were to swap someone out to swap this person in with the what i think what many people are saying is the biggest snub of the award show and that is delroy lindo being left out for his role uh in the five bloods which is a spike lee's film from over the summer which i mean that that film feels like it came out like two years ago it, it just well, it's been so long and to add on to that we, who knows if it was a snub in this category or in supporting right because my understanding is that he was lobbied he was campaigned for, as a lead actor he um, was yeah. however in at least one instance which we will talk about here in a moment someone else was campaigned for as a lead actor and the academy yeah. said screw you we're putting you in supporting actor anyway yeah uh, very confusing so, I, so it's arguably a yeah. snub in two categories if you're somebody who was heavily on no roy lindo's team which look i think it was the best performance in the five bloods clearly I don't think uh, it, it probably would have been in my five in either category, if we're being honest. Yeah, I mean, I feel the same way. I think that, I mean, I mean, look, if I had to point to one here, like I would, I would toss Gary Oldman out. I don't think is anywhere near his best performance in the last few years. I'm pretty lukewarm on the performance as a whole, and and pretty lukewarm on the movie uh, on the whole. But not, no need to relitigate that again. But I think overall. The, if I was going to take someone out to put someone del- like Del Rolando in, which, you know, I was very lukewarm on to five bloods as well. Um, then it, it would be that. Cause I think that, you know, not that legacy or past performances should play any role whatsoever in Oscar nominations. Um, but Gary Oldman certainly has done better. He's won for better. Um, and I, I don't think that that Mank was, 
anywhere near sort of like the expect the expect the expectation level for me of Gary Oldman type performances, which are definitely Oscar worthy, typically speaking. But yeah, Del Lindo, good. I'm not that bummed that he got left out. Um, I definitely would have put in other people before him, but that's the way it right. always goes. Yeah, I mean, I, like I was going to say, sure. Like I, I would take Gary Oldman out too, to be honest with you. But Delroy Lindo probably wouldn't have been the first yep. person that I would have put in. Instead, it would yep. have been Christopher Abbott or Sasha Baron Cohen, even for Borat. <laughs> well, yeah, because that, that's one of the things that I actually wanted to talk about here is that, you know, we 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 talked about this when we reviewed the Golden Globes, and it and it's never a surprise when this happens because it does happen pretty frequently. But there's just not a lot of love in either of these categories. <laughs> Uh, or room, frankly, for the people who appear and win in the comedy musical category at the Globes. You see that with Sasha Baron Cohen, maybe more notably for being left out. James for, Corden. Borat subsequent film, movie film. Well, and, but I was going to say, maybe less surprisingly even than than Sasha Baron Cohen is not, you know, Ros- not seeing Rosamund Pike here for I Care A Lot, which almost sounds like yeah. a ridiculous thing to, to, to utter out loud. But she did win the Golden Globe uh, for Best Actress in a musical or comedy so to not have any love for either of those performances here again maybe slightly more of a snub to have um sasha baricone excluded in this category but they make up for it here in just a moment when we'll talk about that but yeah uh, yeah again like the the this just further proves the hfpa is like on that good cocaine because um this is uh you know rosamund pike did not get nominated and she's not the only person who won a golden globe for acting that then did not get not even get nominated at the oscars which we'll get to in just a moment yeah well why don't we just go there right now because uh i almost uh you know it's already bleeding together so why don't we just go talk about supporting acting so you know in many ways the supporting acting category is a lot more interesting I'd say, I mean, we talked about how the lead, the lead performances or the lead nominations were a little bit chalky. Uh, there's at least a little bit more going on here, um, even if the winners might be even more predictable um, in on this side. On the women's side, you have Maria Bakalova, who was in the lead actress for musical or comedy at the Globes. She's transitioned to what feels like the right place for her, which is in the supporting category. Who even knows? Uh, anymore? Yeah. This, is like, this is like, what is a catch in football, right? The, the what, what is a catch discourse is what is a lead actor and or what is a supporting actor in, uh, in totally movies and the Oscars. Yeah, absolutely. So, but then she's joined in the category by golden globe, uh, supporting actress nominees, Olivia Coleman, Amanda Seyfried, and now dual Oscar Razzie nominee, Glenn close. Uh, congratulations to that legendary accomplishment um for her and then the final slot is going to uh another minari uh, actress uh, i guess maybe your theory about it being you know an a24 american film again proving true or at least maybe lending lending credence to that theory and that's uh yu jung yoon uh who played the grandmother in minari the asian grandma got nominated this year <laughs> yeah as opposed to last year with the farewell real um Look, I think there's lots of interesting conversation to be had about the farewell versus Minari in terms of its award season hype. And I think, frankly, I think a lot of it comes down to H24 not having any other movies to campaign for. Uh, but anyway, on the men's side, uh, Globe winner Daniel Kaluuya received his nomination as expected, along with fellow Golden Globe nominees Sasha Baron Cohen, who we were just talking about a second ago. That performance is the one for The Trial of the Chicago 7. Leslie Adam Jr. for his role in One Night in Miami. Um, but then things get a little bit interesting uh, and are shaken up a little bit here with the final two slots for the supporting actor. And the first is Paul Racy or Rocky. I've heard it both ways. I have no idea how to pronounce it. Uh, that is the, yeah, I've heard it both ways. Uh, that is for his performance in sound of metal, which I was 
frankly, Scott, I was shocked that he got a nominee, but so, so excited about that because that's just wonderful. And then Daniel Kluis, this is the one you were alluding to a second ago. Daniel Kluis, Judas co-star, Lakeith Stanfield, uh, filling out the rest of the category. Two huge surprises right there. Um, one for getting nominated at all, the second for the category he was nominated for. I think that it's really confusing. Uh, I was having a conversation with someone at work, and they insist that this happens all the time, Scott, and I cannot think of a single instance in which I've ever seen this happen before where someone is campaigned for in one category and then they're given a different category um, for the same role. I just have never seen that happen before, although someone at work swore up and down that it's happened. It happens I, mean, I mean, it's certainly happened before, right, where somebody should probably be in the other category, but they end up in. Uh, yeah, in, but not know, what they get campaigned the for. But not where they were literally campaigned for, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but super confusing, honestly. But I mean, awesome. I think like Keith Stanfield is amazing yeah. in, in Judas. I don't know if he I mean, look, like the truth is that maybe it's like a little bit of a shrug about like whether Delroy Lindo is a lead or a supporting into five bloods. I think it's a that is a bit of a blurred line because he it's an it really is an ensemble performance on the whole. And he is one of the ensemble. He's the best of the ensemble. But he's one of the ensemble here. Like Lakeith Stanfield is clearly the lead from perspective from you know, amount of time on screen around like narrative thrust. And yet we find him in the supporting actor category. Scott, what are your thoughts on, on all this? Yeah, well, look, first of all, I want to say, you know, a lot of people are making the point that, well, then who is the lead in Judas and the Light and the Sign? They're trying to be real snarky yeah, about it. doesn't need to be. Let's, let, let's be real here. Like these two guys got nominated and that is awesome. Like I am yeah. thrilled about that. So let's not like you know, look a gift horse in the mouth here and be like, well, who's the lead then? Who cares? They're both nominated for an Oscar. And one of them is probably going to win. Um, I just one hope that probably slam dunk. Well, I mean, yes, I would have said slam dunk going into this. I hope that they don't split the votes now. Oh, is yeah, the only thing now that they're in the same category. But I do think that Daniel Kaluuya still has a pretty firm, um, you know, chokehold on this, um, category. I do think he will win. Um, Maybe Leslie Odom Jr. is your your second place finisher here, um, and that Maybe. could could benefit if you know if somehow Lakeith and Kalulia both cancel each other out. But yeah, Paul Racy, very exciting to see him nominated um, here for Sound of Metal again. Somebody that when we saw Sound of Metal, we're like, well, I mean, that's a lock. You, you can you know write it in in stone, um, and then just was getting passed over by everyone. Um, but maybe the Academy was paying attention, right? Maybe they were looking at the fact that, hey, people do not seem happy about the fact that Paul Racy is getting passed over. Um, and, you know, they, they went that direction, which I'm excited about. I mean, he certainly deserves to be in there over Jared Leto, you know, who we had seen nominated at two different award shows. But um, once again, Scott, I think the actress races where the suspense is going to be right with with best supporting actress i do think that um there's going to be some 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 suspense here again maybe the sag awards will clear clear things up a little bit but jody foster not nominated right yeah. jody foster being the winner of this award at the golden globes for her performance in the mauritanian um i do think that right now if i had to pick a favorite it's probably maria bakalova um yeah. she did win at the critics choice awards i think this is probably the one that people are talking about the most you know despite the fact that it is a comedic performance that's you know that's kind of surprising and that's why i'm a little bit hesitant to go all the way and say yeah she's she's got it won um because you know especially when you have olivia coleman right per, now a perennial nominee a previous winner um 
you know, in, in the race. Um, who, who else am I forgetting here? I mean, obviously you have Amanda Seyfried. I think, yeah, Amanda Seyfried, right? Um, who I kind of felt like was the favorite. I think know. she might be, like, because I'm totally sold on the fact that, like, Borat. Maybe this is, is Max Oscar, right? Maybe yeah. this is Max Oscar. Well, because so that's actually the argument that I was going to make because I don't think there's any yeah. chance that Borat wins an award, um, or at least at least not for anything serious, right? Because I I just like. The Academy has shown time, time like they don't give a crap about comedies. Like they don't give a crap about comedic fare. I don't think that Borat has a chance of winning the, uh, any any major awards. And so, yeah. you know, I I think I look then towards Amanda Seyfried being sort of like the front runner. I wouldn't say she's the favorite, but I think she's the front runner for this award. But I think it's again, I agree. It's like a total toss up. Like who could actually win? Yeah, I wonder what the last. What is the last time we think that somebody has actually won an Oscar for a straight up comedian? It's probably like Alan Arkin and Little Miss Sunshine or something. Or you know, you go back to Marissa Tomei and uh, my cousin Vinny. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It doesn't happen very often. So yeah, that is why again, why I'm hesitant to go all the way and say Maria Bakalova's got this. Um, and I do think Amanda Seyfried is probably the person who would profit if. Um, if you know if she doesn't if the academy you know does take a left turn at borat um and yeah maybe this is mank's oscar to your point that you know they're going to spread the wealth a little bit i mean i'm shocked that mank did not get nominated for screenplay that is something that i would have looked at and thought that yeah maybe this is where mank could get its oscar because i thought the script was phenomenal frankly for mank um i think it would have been an original though so i think it would have had a hard time working yeah maybe so um original i guess was a little bit tough this year but to not even be nominated nah, we'll get there but um yeah no again best supporting actress maybe not quite as wide open as best actresses where you could see like three or four different people winning um but there's some ambiguity here that um still needs to be cleared up i think by the few yeah. remaining award shows i agree and i think the sag awards could be a, a big indicator i think that because people again really haven't seen the father yet like olivia coleman in a month's time could be the front runner like if she if it comes out and the performance once we get more critical reviews and eyes on it and stuff and and people are just like praising her up and down although i hear it as a quite a small role on the whole um it, it means she could be the front runner if she wins at sag etc so i think again like the you know lead actress category and as you just said i think there's still like a lot to be left up in the air and maybe there won't be a clear you know favorite come the time the show rolls around, which would be exciting. Again, like I think that's super exciting to have some acting races that aren't locked down because the last two years, it feels like every single one of them has been pretty much locked down tight uh, by the time we got to the time we got to the show. And and I do think that Dan, even with Lakeith Stanfield, I think Daniel Kaluuya does have this pretty locked up. I mean, look, I'm sure someone could present an argument that makes me question it more, but I would be really surprised if, you know, when, when push comes to shove in the voting, if anyone sits down and, and really does check Lakeith Stanfield's box over Daniel Kaluuya just because of the weight behind um, just, I think the awards push that he in particular has had for this film. I really hope that I'm not wrong about that. and not eating my words in a couple months. As much as I love Lakeith Stanfield's performance, I do think that Daniel Kaluuya is probably um, the one that people will, will check the box of and what comes to their awards ballot. I mean, it's the, it's the, fierier performance like sure, you know yeah. i think i personally think that they're both equally strong performances like sure, i don't yeah. think i could honestly put one above the other but this feels like more what you think of when you think of a best supporting 
Oscar winner, yeah. winning performance. You think of Daniel Kaluuya and giving the big speeches and stuff like that. Uh, mm -hmm. You don't necessarily think of the maybe slightly more nuanced uh, or, I mean, you know, less showy work, I guess I should say, because they're both nuanced, but the less showy work of the Keystone yeah. trilogy. Yeah, it's so it's so interesting because I mean, obviously, the performance from Daniel Kaluuya has such higher highs in terms of like ferocity and emotion and whatnot. Um, it, it's like volcanic almost at times. It feels like in terms of the performance, but it it is like to the nuance point. It is like complemented by these incredibly soft, like emotional um, moments between him and Dominic Fishback and and even Lucky Stanfield um, when they're having their you know quieter conversations and whatnot, and then. Yeah, in terms of internal turmoil, that's what Keith's performance is all about. Um, wonderful movie. I know that it's not on HBO Max anymore, but go find a way to watch it uh, if it's still in theaters near you, if, if you feel comfortable. It's just an incredible yeah. film. Yeah. All right, uh, Scott, we've been speculating about screenplay for a while now, so why don't we just go ahead and, and, and jump in here. This uh, year, the original screenplay category is populated with nominations for Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. So you're saying here, you know, earlier about, uh, you know, Trial of the Chicago 7, you know, maybe probably being the favorite um, just because of it being Aaron Sorkin and and whatnot and, and having that um, sort of prestige behind you with having won an award in this category before, having been nominated many times over. It feels like he has name recognition as a screenwriter. I mean, yeah, a absolutely. And, to... you know, the others here, Lee Isaac Chung, Emerald Fennell, um, Darius Martyr and Abraham Martyr, um, Will Burson and Shaka King. Like these people do not have the name recognition, like just flatly put, like they do not have the name recognition of Aaron Sorkin behind them. Can anyone really mount a charge to overtake him in this category? I think the only one would be Emerald Fennell, to be honest with you. Looking at looking at that list, I think again, if you if you if you go into this with the the thought process that oh hey, each movie is going to get you know something is going to is going to get a little little piece. Um, I mean, this is Trial of Chicago Seven's award. Right, well, yeah, where does Trial of Chicago Seven then get it? I, I don't know, but um, but you know, a lot of people have talked. You know, Promising Woman. Young Woman is a much talked about film. A lot of people have debated the ideas that are going on, right? Which is a product of the screenplay more than yeah. anything else. Um, and so I think for that reason, it has a chance. But yeah, I think the Sorkin train is going to keep rolling here. Yeah, I, I agree. It is down between those two as much as I'd love for Judas or Sound of Metal or or Minari even. Um, to have a chance. I think I, I like all three of those screenplays quite a bit, uh, to say the least. But I do think it is down to those two. And and you can see why, like, like you said, sort of the controversy and the debate, like it, that's I mean, I feel it's not critical, obviously, for a screenplay to be great. But like, you know, you've written something interesting, right? To go back to the interesting point when you're having those conversations for months on, on end now. I mean, it's that film debuted at Sundance last year and people have been talking about it since then. Um, and to have that sort of staying power in a pandemic, uh, it look, it, it means something, right? Like even if you ultimately sat or sour on, on what the screenplay is saying or make or, or the implications of it, uh, it, it means something that, that someone has written that. And, and then, yeah, but, uh, it's like the unstoppable force and the immovable object, although I think it's a bit of an exaggeration probably for both. Um, but it does feel like, you know, you have the prestige of Sorkin and maybe the intrigue of Emerald Fennell there, but, yeah, well, they go too with the much intrigue thing. to generate a consensus, probably in the end. That's probably a fair point. Um, 
certainly so for anything like best picture with ranked choice voting but we'll see if it's different with when it, you know when the, when the voting's a little bit different in some of these categories uh overall though i would i would go with aaron sorkin i'd be a little surprised if he doesn't win it but plenty of worthy nominees in that category in my opinion on the other side with adapted screenplay though we do have um you know i'll say it's it's the plays versus everyone else so you have the father in one night in miami uh, up against Nomadland, Borat's subsequent movie film, and The White Tiger. Uh, congrats to The White Tiger getting a nomination. Cool. Um, Nomadland and uh, One Night in Miami and The Father and Borat 2. Scott, what do you think of the chances of these four films getting the award? Because I'm going to assume The White Tiger doesn't have a prayer. Listen, I'm not as sold as you are on Borat being out. And I think if it, uh, you know, I could this be its I award? Could... I could see it. I could see it. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that it has a better chance of winning supporting actress than it does of winning this. Probably, uh, I think Nomadland is probably the the favorite here. Um, look, it doesn't have like a super dense screenplay, mm-hmm. um, but you know, there's there's uh, that that's not always um, you know the best criteria. I mean, 1917 last year got nominated for. Screenplay. I mean, that's an incredibly dense screenplay though, because it's not just it's not just it, about yeah, it, dialogue. It is. It's about direct dialogue, yeah. I guess. Right, sure, yeah. but I mean, I think you know, no, Nomadland, not not as dense in that regard, but I mean, it 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 does have more to it than just the dialogue for sure. Uh, but I also think it makes very good use of its minimal dialogue, right? And I think sure. um, you know, there's a lot of heft when the people do when people do talk. And again, it's going to probably win Best Picture. It's going to probably win Best Director. Yeah. Those are generally good um signs for a movie that wants to win best screenplay as well parasite did it last year um yeah and so i I think i think you know in a different year maybe nomad land would um face more of a challenge uh in this adapted screenplay category like i'd be interested to see right if you throw it in there last year against jojo rabbit little women um you know some of those others does nomad land still prevail i'm not convinced but um I think that with this bunch, um, you know, maybe Borat being the one that could mount a charge um, just because it has ideas right as well. Like, you know, like like Promising Young Woman. This is a movie that people are not just talking about it as funny, but as, you know, what it is saying about American politics currently. Um, but I think uh, I'd point to Nomadland here as my choice. Yeah, something we'll really have to change, I feel like, with the father to, for it to have a chance in this category but again it's it it's so early <laughs> to know with the father i mean this could be a complete non-starter in a month's time or it could be much more relevant in the conversations that we're having it'll be interesting to see what happens at the writers guild awards obviously last year it was really unclear because quentin tarantino is not a member of the writers guild so uh one spot in time in hollywood couldn't be nominated in that category so there was a lot of question marks going in um to the oscars at least on the, on the original screenplay on the original screenplay side for something like him, but hopefully we can get to the bottom a little bit of what's going on uh, with the adapted screenplay because I'm I'm very curious to see. I, I would think that One Night in Miami would have more of a chance if Kent Powers were almost not certainly going to be winning a different award um, on the night. But that said, yeah, I think I'm leaning towards Nomadland myself. I'll be honest, Scott. I think it's a bit of a weak year for this category uh, on the whole. I think this is probably yeah, one, to my one, point, I think. Yeah. 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 And I, I think, yeah. And to your point, I think that if I had to look at all the categories um, and their nomin- nominees, I think this is the weakest probably uh, of the year, which that's not meant to be a criticism necessarily, but 
just one where, you know, seeing something like the White Tiger get nominated, it's an honor to be nominated. I don't know that the White Tiger should be nominated in this category. Um, I think that, that may, might tell a lot. But anyway, moving past that, I think there um, are a bunch of other categories I don't want to tick through one by one, but we can call them the technical categories, Scott. So things like production design, cinematography, costumes, makeup, hairstyling, score, um, sound, film editing, visual effects, whatever. Um, any thoughts on the whole here? I mean, obviously, Mank has a lot of nominations in these for obvious reasons, because um, that's how it's able to pull ahead of ever of all its other competitors, just in in nominations tally. But uh, there were some, I think, some notable films sort of left out of as many categories as you might have expected them to be when it comes to this. Namely, in my mind, Tenet uh, only getting two nominations uh, and, and not even getting one for Ludwig Gornson's score, which I thought um was crazy i don't know maybe did it get nominated for score actually no it didn't it didn't it no, didn't get nominated it for no. yeah it didn't get nominated for score um or sound <laughs> or uh christopher or nolan's decision christopher nolan's decision to put this movie out this year honestly could not have flopped any worse like god love him but uh yeah it didn't turn out to be the anything near the commercial you know success that he would have hoped and he can't even get like the oscars nominations in the categories where he thought well this is absolutely a lock especially in a pandemic yeah. year i mean look i think it's absolutely outrageous that that ludwig aronson didn't get nominated and that Hoyt Van Hoytema didn't get nominated for cinematography either. Like, I think it's, I think it's absurd personally. Um, and the sound editing that goes along with that. Uh, it's just sound now. Thank God they consolidated the categories. Um, but I mean, look, I think that's outrageous. But obviously, I mean, everyone else in this podcast knows that I really liked it a lot more than most people even. And I'm a Chris Nolan stand. So maybe I'm poorly positioned for that. But I look at that category and I think these people like did not do better than what Tenet did this year. But that's just me. Yeah, I mean, again, I'd point to Ludovico Einaudi's score for Nomadland sure. as yeah. the one which I consider to be uh, left out of the mold. Um, but, you know, ultimately, uh, I, I guess my question would be in looking at all of these technical nominees is, where is Mank going to win, right? Because Mank, you mentioned, Mank has the most nominations um, and it has a lot of these technical nominations, but... I, I, you know, I think that Nomadland is going to win for cinematography. I think that Sound of Metal is probably going to get the Sound Award. I think that uh, Soul is probably going to win Best Original Score. Like, I think that will be the Reznor and Ross score that, um, you know, takes the day. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe something like production design. Definitely. Um, that, that's a, what I was going to say. I think good, may, uh, Manx yeah, Award is, is going to be production design, and then maybe they can get Amanda Seyfried if they want, like, for a bigger award is a good you know yeah maybe that's a good one but like uh you know makeup and hairstyling and costume design I, I don't know what is like emma is that in there that might be one that i would point emma's to yeah em emma's in for both and ma rainey's black bottom is in for both as well i wouldn't be shocked if yeah both if of them yeah ma rainey won for either of those um mulan costume design i think will probably be emma just given the past like little women winning last year so i feel safe. like you're the period costumes just, you know, yeah. get the job done for them. But yeah, no, you're well, maybe, you know, I, I say that, but Black Panther won two years ago. That was definitely more um, adventurous there um, yeah. with Ruth Carter. But um, maybe, maybe they go with, with Ma Rainey. But I think those two movies are probably where the battle is being fought in makeup and hairstyling, costume design between Emma and Ma Rainey. Yeah, and, and notable in that, that there are five nominees in this category, I think, for the first time. 
Yeah. So, so my point overall, though, is that Mank is going to be the movie I think with a lot of nominations and like one win, maybe. Like, uh, you know, yeah. it, it's its win is having the most nominations, right? It is having eleven nominations and being able to say we had yeah. we were the most nominated film of this Oscars. Yeah. Um, look, I mean, but it's not really going to win much. Netflix obviously wants to get their big W one day, but I think they're also probably taking a little bit of solace in the fact that they easily have the most nominations. Like, it's not even close. Um, for better or for worse. Yeah. Whatever, though. All right. Animated feature. The last thing I want to talk about um, specifically, we are unfortunately going to leave out international feature and the documentary categories because we just haven't seen enough of those films. But animated, you know, we've seen two of them. So I'll say I'll say we're qualified. Um, Soul onward. The two Pixar films battling it out uh, alongside Wolfwalkers, which is the third movie from the Irish um, animation studio helmed by Tom Moore. Ross Stewart, Paul Young, and Stefan Rolands. Um, then Over the Moon, which is actually an animated one that I didn't really know very much about, but I was looking into it after it got nominated. It is part of net. It is a Netflix film that came out late last year. It's Chinese American animation. Um, interesting, cute design. Doesn't feel as edgy though as some of like the past Netflix animated films that have been nominated that I thought like might have had like an outside chance of winning. Um, it doesn't have like sort of like the the intrigue around it. That's something like, um, oh, shoot, I'm forgetting theirs from last year. Uh, that's not um, that's not Kloss. It's the one that was the the French one. Um, uh, I lost my body. I lost my body. Yeah, like that. That, that was interesting. And Kloss, you know, love it or hate it. Um, like Kloss, love it, Kloss, honestly. Well, like, I mean, do. some people love it. Some people think it's way overrated. Um, I'm somewhere in the middle. I enjoyed it, but didn't love it. Um, it has an interesting animation style, in my opinion. Like I, I can understand why it was being nominated. Over the Moon seems like a little bit more traditional fare, which is why I think it has no chance whatsoever. Um, not even an outside chance. And the last one is uh, Shaun of the Sheep movie called Farmageddon, which well, we really filling out the category this year, it felt like. Um, uh, well, I, yes and no. Like that, Those claymation movies honestly generally do well. Like I think Wallace and Gromit, Curse of the Were-Rabbit, I think even won this award, um, if I'm remembering correctly. But like, you know, sure. that... Yeah. Strangely enough, you know, Chicken Run, you can go back to Chicken Run, so like that. The Claymation movies, they they always get nominated. They never really win, but yeah. Yeah. So it's got um, Soul, right? <laughs> Pretty much. Like, I, you know, I, I would have said that, you know, I, I think that this could be a good year for Wolf Walkers maybe to like pull off an upset if Soul wasn't in there, right? I think Soul is just kind of like undeniable, right? Coming from Pixar. A lot of people watched it, I think, on, on Disney Plus. And it's really good, right? It, you know, it's it's a really good movie. Um, I think that um, they will go with the chalk here and go with, um, you know, with Soul, even though Wolfwalker certainly has its defenders. Wolfwalker certainly has its people's, people who would stand up and say, hey, this is better than Soul. This deserves to win. Um, I, I'm just not sure that this will be the one that gets the studio. I don't recall the name of the studio off the top of my head, but, uh, you know, they're always nominated, but, um, you know, have yet to win. And I think, uh, they're up against too much of a beast here in Seoul. Yeah. I think it's called cartoon saloon. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm forgetting the name of the studio off the top of my head as well. Um, but yeah, that all three of their films now have been nominated, which is very impressive. I don't think, I think it was something like, like basically no animation studio had their first three films ever nominated. Um, with like, another. Apparently not. I don't know. I, I still could have misread that statistic. Um, but 
yeah, look, a really good job from them. But yeah, I don't think that they're anywhere near it because of just because of the power of soul. And you know, I was mentioning earlier that I think that Kent Powers isn't going to win the you know adapted screenplay award for One Night in Miami because he is going to technically be getting the award here um, as a co-director for Soul. Um, I think there there's just no way that this doesn't win. If Toy Story Four can win last year over a much stronger field of competitors, then I think that uh, Soul is going to do it this year. So yeah. All right, Scott, I think that we've more or less covered all of the awards. And so just wanted to uh, quickly before we do wrap things up, say, ask, take your pulse. I think I have a sense of it um, from a conversation we've had so far. But nominations, good or bad this year? Uh, good. Um, yeah, look, I'll, uh, first of all, I want to say that um, one of the fun things to always do when these nominations come out is to try and pick out the movies that are going to be the, the strangest movies that like for the years to come, you can say, Oh, this, the Oscar nominated suicide squad, for example, uh, yeah. I think Isn't obviously it's the Oscar winning suicide squad, I think. Yeah, that is true. That is yeah. true. Uh, obviously I think a uh, prime candidate here is hillbilly elegy, right? Which has Absolutely. two nominees for Glenn Close. However, the one that I would point to is the one and only Ivan, that yep. Disney plus movie, which is not, yep. is it costume design or what's it known? visual uh, oh, it's visual visual effects, effects yeah because yeah, yeah, it's yeah. isn't animated yeah. yeah no it's not animated no 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 but it has the monsters it's like it's yeah yeah, yeah yeah the one and only ivan yeah that disney plus movie that was watched by tens of people um is well, now the oscar nominated one and only ivan so. an- another fun one is the oscar nominated uh eurovision song contest the story of fire saga yes that is for true best, as well best, for original best song. song yeah yeah birds of prey get nominated for uh like makeup and hairstyling or something uh, I don't think so. Oh, okay. I thought that it might have it found its way in there. But yeah, yeah. Eurovision, you know, one and only Ivan, uh, Hillbilly Elegy. Yeah. Even in even in an off year, the Oscars can still be wilded. But no, on the whole, it's positive, right? Like yeah. it, it's it's funny, right? Because like last year there were so many good movies, you would have said it's hard, it's so hard, it would be so hard to screw this up, right? Um, and yet they still found ways, right, with not nominating Greta Gerwig for Best Director, <clears throat> leaving a lot of African-American actors and actresses out of the acting races, um, all the stuff with Joker being in there. Um, you all know, of the I, Joker I, things. Look, I, I think that I do not like Promising Young Woman, but I think it's a more complicated film than Joker is. I think it's more complicated <laughs> than bohemian rhapsody or vice right to go back to like the worst best picture nominees of the previous years um and so while i would not have it anywhere near my best picture race um i'm not like as angry about it getting in there as i was about joker or vice or something like that uh, so even the even the bottom is you know not as is softer than usual um but again the top of the best picture race couldn't be stronger in my opinion with nomadland and um and Judas and the Black Messiah, you know, both both being up there, um, and yeah, a lot of lot of representation in the nominees. Um, you know, the two actors getting nominated from Judas and the Black Messiah, both of them getting nominated is awesome. Um, best actress is really strong yet again. I think um, I don't really have too many too many problems. Like there's there's not the snub right. Like last year, Greta Gerwig for me was the snub, um, and I think. Um, you know, the, most people this year would say the snub is Delroy Lindo. Um, but we've already sort of talked about why maybe that just doesn't quite, quite reach the heights of something like Greta Gerwig getting stuck last year, um, did. So 
look, I'm I'm relatively pleased. I, and I, I, you know, I may be even more pleased after the Oscars because I think the best movie is going to win, right? I think Nomadland is going to win. I think the best director, Chloe Zhao, is going to win. Um, and, you know, that that is a rare but, you know, wonderful occurrence when it happens. Um, and, you know, again, would mark a positive trend for the Oscars um, of, you know, awarding good movies best picture like i think the green book thing was a was a time when people could look at the oscars and go oh here we go again the oscars such and such but you know if they give it to nomadland this year i think we can well and truly say that green book was the exception rather than the rule at least in recent years with you know the shape of water and moonlight and spotlight and uh, birdman like you know all interesting uh you know may, maybe not I would put some of those on, you know, higher quality than others, but uh, interesting movies, very well-made movies. Um, you know, uh, I think the Academy is taking positive steps and I think uh, Nomadland winning Best Picture would be uh, another step in the right direction. Definitely. I definitely agree with that. Scott, will we be doing our bracket competition again this year? Uh, TBD. TBD. All right. With that, I think we should wrap up episode 133 of Some Like It, Scott. Uh, I think you've said plenty to leave us with today, so I'll move right on to our outro. Where can people find you on Twitter? At ScarbyDan. And I can be found at Shelton2013 over on Twitter. Please also check out our podcast Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. Uh, there's a bunch of different reward tiers. Check them all out for yourself. If you can support us, um, and get the uh, appropriate rewards for doing so, please do. We really appreciate that. If not, you can still find us on all your podcast services, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc., um, where we'd appreciate if you rated, reviewed, subscribed, shared, etc. We really appreciate all of you for taking time out of your day to listen to us chat about these Oscar nominations. We'll be back next week with our own award show, the third annual Some Like It Scott Awards. But until then, for Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time. See you down the road. Yeah.